Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, this is Jen. We are excited to debut today um, one of our new episode types. So this is, we, we started a new format with our book club episodes, and we wanted to think about better ways to reach teachers than the way we've been doing it. So from now on, we'll have one episode a month that we create with teachers in mind that we do think these topics will be interesting for all readers, all bookish people, but definitely teachers would be our our prime audience here. So before we get started, we just want to remind you to find us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us a lot, and we would really appreciate it. So before we get started, we are going to do our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading? Well, I just finished a book, so I actually have a book right ready to go for my next book in real life book club. And I am going to be reading The Less People Know About Us, A Mystery of Betrayal, Family Secrets, and Stolen Identity by Axton Betts Hamilton. And it was actually nominated for the book club by our very own Jen. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really excited. I love memoirs. And this is a memoir about identity theft. And I'm really excited to read it. I don't know a ton about it. I actually tried not to read too much because I Mm -hmm. just wanted to to be a surprise. So I will be updating you on that in a later episode. Great. All right, Ashley, how about you? I am currently listening to you slash reading Marco Shiro's Anger is a Gift. And I've been wanting to get to this one for a, a long time. Jen and I saw him speak at Teen Fest in D.C., well, outside of D.C., last spring and he is just an amazing person and I and an activist and just really passionate about a lot of really important social issues and I think you see a lot of that in the book as well so I am glad to be that was another one on my backlist mm-hmm. so I'm always excited to <laughs> check that off and also I am appreciating there are a lot of things I appreciate about it but one of the things I think that I'm most appreciating is that Oshiro does a really great job of being very conscientious about representing a lot of different types of characters mm-hmm in the story and for example one that i don't remember seeing readily in any young adult that i've read yeah i don't i don't know that i've ever seen it as a prominent character but it's a Mm non-binary character and so one of the characters uses the pronoun they and is it one of the major characters Mm -hmm. and i just really appreciate that because i think that is not what the story is about at all and i think what i really appreciate is there's a lot that he shows through his different characters that show them as real people who walk in the world in different ways mm-hmm. and that that is not what this story is about, but that that representation I think is really amazing, especially for teens to see. Yeah. All right. So my book is Amanda Lindhout and Sarah Corbett's A House in the Sky. And this is Lindhout's memoir. I am doing this one for a buddy read with Read with Tony. And uh, Lindhout is, I'm only 89 pages in, so I will say I'm still at the beginning. So nothing here is going to be too spoilery, but Lindhout grew up in a very poor household 
And one of her methods of escaping her situation was looking at National Geographics. And so she dreamed of these other worlds and of traveling. And when she became, I think she was in her early 20s, she just decided she was finally going to do it. So she start, she was waitressing and she saved up money and just started traveling around the world. So that is all happening at the beginning of the book. But before we launch into any of that, the I guess it's a preface, is Lintout being held by kidnappers in Somalia. So you know from the moment you start the book that she's been kidnapped, she's being held, then it's flashing back to her childhood and you're sort of seeing how this traveling came to be. And I will just say it is beautifully written. I don't know yet the circumstances that led to her being kidnapped. So I am really definitely intrigued. I'm a little worried and scared because there's some horrible things happening, but it has definitely caught my attention. So I'm anxious to continue reading that. So our topic today is why teach YA lit? So why do you think teachers should teach young adult literature? So we thought we would start just a little bit. All of us taught YA lit. And so we thought we'd talk about the way we came to that. And then we'll move on to our discussion of why we think it's a great idea. So Ashley, would you like to start? <laughs> Sarah that looks was a really fake scared. Out. That was a fake out. I, I think... saw your face get panicked, and I was like, I "Well, do and that I was to starting friend. to talk anyway, so it all worked out okay." So, I taught more classical literature to lots of students. Sorry for those of you out there listening, particularly those of you that I might have drugged through difficult texts for maybe no benefit other than that it was canonical and traditionally taught. So some I, I have done that for sure. And I think that one of the first times that I got away from that with a regular class was in Kentucky as a team. The 11th grade teachers decided that we would teach Alice Siebold's The Lovely Bones. And there were a lot of reasons that that came about. But so that's not YA, but it is contemporary. It's very fast moving. It's engaging for kids and it was just, again, we kind of stumbled upon it. I mean, honestly, at that point in my career, I knew very little about YA. I was not reading it a lot. We weren't well versed in it. There were a lot of other initiatives that we were working on in the school that I was at in Kentucky. And so that wasn't our focus. And the, the thing for me that was so transformative is that there were a lot, a lot of times that a student would come into me and say, this is the first book I have read in my whole life. Mm-hmm. and that they had read it cover to cover, that they were totally captivated. And again, I mean, now, knowing the the tremendous breadth of novels out there or works out there that are YA, you know, that one wouldn't be – I mean, I think it's a great book, but it would not be by any, by any stretch of the imagination my top pick. Mm-hmm. It was just that that for me – I mean, there's nothing that I want more than for kids to love what we're doing mm-hmm. and to want to do it on their own and to be proud of the work they're doing. That is what I love. And so for me, that was absolutely transformative. I mean, from that point on, I was really interested in – finding literature that reached kids better and so that kind of opened that doorway for me and then when I moved here to Virginia Jen will probably speak to this because we taught at the same high school when I first got here but that was much the whole movement toward YA toward letting kids pick what they read there was a lot of that that was just really successful at the school when I got here to Virginia and I think that because of that, I was suddenly exposed to all of this amazing literature that I just had never read before. And 
absolutely loved. And so I think the Lovely Bones and that experience with my students definitely opened the doorway for me. But then when I got here, I realized that there was just this entire world of literature out there that I knew very little about and had read very little of before my time here. And from that moment forward, for sure, for me, that is what I gravitate toward for students. And while, I mean, I've taught AP Lit, both in Kentucky and in Virginia, and I certainly still teach some classical texts because I do think that there is value in that, both in the exposure for students and in the depth of analysis that you can do and in the difficulty of reading. I mean, if you're preparing mm-hmm. for something like an AP Lit exam, you do need to know how to read very difficult passages in an analytical way. So I still think there's merit in that, but I think that for a lot of us as English teachers, we've been clinging to that for all of our levels and all of our students because that was the way we were taught And that was what was valued. And so I really am happy to see and to be part of that experience of shifting away from that. Mm -hmm. Sarah, how about you? So I came into teaching a little bit differently. I went to school for business. And so, and then I decided I wanted to switch careers and I, I took the praxis in our state and got certified and I didn't really do any student teaching and So I just kind of got not thrown into a classroom, but I just remember being led to my classroom and my principal principal being like, okay, well, let me know if you need anything. And I'm standing in my classroom. I'm like, "Uh, where's the book? Where's the manual? You know? And so what, what, how I came upon YA is my first year, I just really didn't know the availability of the different types of texts to read. So I did what the teachers before me had done. Mm -hmm. And one of those was a great choice, The Outsiders, which I continued to to, uh, teach throughout my whole English teaching career because I found that it really connected with a lot of students. Students in general across the board really liked it. They could find themselves in one of the characters. And so I started to think about how could I replicate that, what I get with The Outsiders with the other books that I taught. Mm -hmm. And... Like I said, that first year I had some misses. I mean, I just remember the kids being like, what are you doing? And I just was doing what was left in my room. So then um, the following year I read The Hunger Games. And this was before the movies came out. So it was just the books. And I... Had no, I mean, it was so fast moving. I fell in love with it. I plowed through the series and I just loved it. And I was like, I just want to be able, I want my students to be able to read this. If I could do the, I, and I thought if I could do the first book, then if they love it, there's right. two, mm-hmm. two more books that they probably will read. So I wrote a grant to get the Hunger Games for my students and we read it together and some of the i had some uh, some really tough kids that year and they loved it and they read catching fire and they read mockingjay and we went on a field trip to see the movie and it was just even though even though it was not like a traditional text that you read in english it was just so gratifying to see the way that the kids were able to connect with the themes and what was happening and that they wanted to read the book. I mean, that's the biggest thing Mm -hmm. is that it enabled the students to be able to read something and then be excited about reading something else. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first experience with teaching YA and realizing the powerful way that it can affect lots of students and lots of different students with lots of different reading levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was mine. So I was trying to get 
my thoughts in order before we started. And so I was trying to look back because it's hard to remember, like once you've arrived at a place. But so when I first came to the high school where Ashley and I both taught for a while, that was in the fall of 2000. And I will say at that point, our school was pretty progressive even then. So I had all English 11 that year. And we all sort of agreed on the books we were teaching. And that year we taught David Baldacci's Wish You Well, which is a book that takes place in the Appalachians and focuses on two kids. Again, like Ashley was saying about the lovely bones, it is not YA, but it is contemporary. Mm -hmm. It is acknowledging the fact that there is good stuff written all the time and that we can read popular fiction and, and it is worthwhile. We also taught a book, Bob Green's Be True to Your School, A Diary of 1964. And basically Bob Green, when he was in high school, kept this diary and wrote in it and every day he was a junior. And so we taught that with our kids and he's thinking about sex and he's thinking about grades and he's thinking about frustration with his parents. So it was a book. I, I it's not YA, but I think it was easy for our kids to relate to. So I, I went at it that way, but I also definitely was still teaching those canonical texts, mm-hmm. The Great Gatsby and The Crucible, and and books that I still, texts that I still love, but maybe weren't as relevant to the kids. So I did that for a long time. And then I think where I started was our school really started emphasizing SSR. And I remember the year, so at the beginning of our of every year on the first day of school, I would have the kids go around the room and introduce themselves and tell me, you know, what did you want to be called? And then I said, I want you to tell me your favorite book or a book that you love. And like half of all of my classes were reading Twilight. And I was like, I haven't read this book. Maybe I should go get it. So I went kind of begrudgingly and got the first book. And oh my gosh, I tore through it. And one night I stayed up till like two in the morning, the first week of school, not a great plan. But I finished it. I, I went to the bookstore and got like the last book wasn't out yet, but two or two and three were out. And I was like, why is this not what we're reading? Like, mm-hmm. and I just kept thinking about myself in high school and how much I would have loved those books and the ways that I thought I could understand why my students were loving those books. And when I was in high school, my English teacher, I had one grade seven through 12. And she taught mostly classics, but I remember we read Catherine Patterson's Jacob Have I Loved, which is written, I don't even know if it was called, it was not called YA then, (laughs) but it would now be called YA. And I remember having loved it. So it's just this gradual, like, why are we not doing this? Mm -hmm. So we started the SSR, you talked about Hunger Games, Sarah, and oh my gosh, the year we really embraced SSR I just remember I had this group of boys, like Ashley, you were saying, who was like, who were like, I've never read a book before. And they devoured the Hunger Games mm-hmm. and were so hungry for any books like that. And I remember this one boy. That was who, a great punch. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, that was unintentional, truly. I just want to make sure our point yeah. <laughs> This boy came up to me. Sorry, I just hit the mic. This boy came up to me and he said, Miss Moyers, I am really mad at you. And I said, why? And he said, I have all this free time, but all I want to do is read. Uh (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, one of those teacher moments. And so then I was like, why are we not teaching it? Like, and SSR is great. And I still support that. And I think that is important to have choice. But I also think when we are teaching books, whole class, which I believe is important because I love that discussion. It's also great to have those books be YA too. Mm -hmm. So our school did a whole school reads. Ashley was there at this point, read Divergent, every grade level and at varying levels of success. And 
I absolutely loved it. Ashley wrote some brilliant lesson plans that she shared Thanks, on her blog. Yes. Brilliant lesson plans that were really, that got at why it made sense for kids to read them and the types of things that kids are thinking about every day and that were really powerful. But I also remember some people in my department being really upset and being frustrated that they had to teach this book that they didn't think was worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So I guess let's get to that. Like, what do you think people's objections are? Why would anyone be reluctant to teach young adult lit? I mean, I think that a lot of people just, it's kind of that thing that it has always been done. So in that, and that's what's accepted and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think even having been a student in my life and then also a teacher, I think even books, I mean, I, I, we, I've been on record on the podcast that classics are just not my favorite. Mm -hmm. And I read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school. And I mean, it was fine for me. Like I, you know, it was fine. I liked it fine. But not until I was an adult and had more life experience did it really impact me Mm. the way that it should have, you know? And I think that a lot of the classical text, which I probably, if I would give them another try, I would like it. But but because I was trying to read these mm-hmm. book, these yeah. texts in high school when I had all this other stuff going on and it just felt really distant for me, yeah. that is what made me as a teacher be like, I need to tr- figure mm-hmm. out something different. But I do think that people are just really protective of their content. And I think that I think there is validity in knowing those cornerstone texts. Mm-hmm. But I just think for every reader, and I, I mean, I'm coming from a different place because I taught eighth graders. So I was in a middle school. And I mean, that is that is a hard sell. Even when we did poems, I mean, that some of that is really difficult yeah. for struggling readers to be able to understand and get the in figurative language is just really hard. So I I think that people want to hold on to what they know mm-hmm. and what they like mm-hmm. and what they think that English entails, like the tech the text mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. but I but for me, like I said, it I just feel like students aren't able a lot of times to see the ve- the validity in those type of texts until mm-hmm. they're older and have more experience. Yeah, yeah and I I think that one thing For me, I think there is a stigma attached to YA that sometimes people think that it doesn't have any literary merit or maybe enough literary merit. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that people are, I don't know that English teachers are often thinking that at the forefront of their mind, Mm -hmm. but I think that there is a notion Mm -hmm. that there is a right kind of text to teach. And I mean, even at the, uh, even at the AP Lit level, that was a discussion that we were often having with the question that was open where kids could choose from a list Mm -hmm. that they provide or they could choose any other book of literary merit and there was a lot of discussion about what would not be scored and what was permissible as literary merit as having literary merit and I think that because that is ambiguous and because people want to make sure that they're teaching something of value and that is of perceived value yeah. also that there that there's some of that too mm-hmm. but again I think those walls are coming down and I think that there is some fear and people do want to hold on to the books that they love that's one thing but I think there's also this fear of people getting kicked back from I mean like you said Jen there was resistance when people taught yeah. divergent mm-hmm. and I think that we have to work through that mm-hmm. in order to have success. But I think that anyone who teaches some YA lit with kids who has also taught non 
texts that are not as accessible Mm -hmm. is going to feel that gratification of reaching kids. I mean, that's a great feeling. And I think for teachers who are wanting to take that step, it's a, it's a very quick and very rewarding Mm -hmm. feeling. Like I think it it happens immediately once you've tried the text and also that it's a great feeling. And I, I mean, to me, like when I, when you teach, I think that you need to think about what is my goal. And if it's for the kids to be able to access the text, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I think about, I read a lot of really dark, like texts that people would say have literary merit. I mean, like Edgar Allan Poe, but Mm -hmm. that's really hard to access for kids. And so, I mean, like the Hunger Games, I had to get a permission slip signed for my kids to read it Mm -hmm. because, I mean, it is violent. But, I mean, they're able to understand it. But I would argue that it's no more violent than the the things you could read in Poe or other authors, but it's just more easily understood. And, I mean, I feel like that, as teachers, we want our kids to be able to understand what they're reading mm-hmm. so then they can find those literary things like theme and understand why authors make the choices they do. But if they can't understand the text, then yeah. that's right. Then it, all of it is decoding. Yeah. All you're it's ever all doing decoding. is decoding. Right. I would say too, I think there's a fear that maybe there's not enough to talk about in YA Lit. And yeah. I would argue that YA Lit is just like adult lit, mm-hmm. that some of it is deeper than others. Yeah. And so there are YA books that I have read that I have absolutely loved, but I would not teach it because it's it's pretty straightforward and maybe there aren't as many layers. But then Ashley and I both taught um, A.S. King's Everybody Sees the Ants. Man, there's a lot to parse mm-hmm. in that book and to consider. And we taught that whole class. And I taught that both with regular English 11 and with my English 11 honors classes. And the discussions were so rich. And there was so much about writing style and structure and reality. And... and, and there's a lot about bullying, about something that our kids were, they would just say they were really interested in talking about it. And so I think that fear that you're going to get there to a discussion in class and everybody's going to say, well, I liked it. And yeah. then you don't have anywhere to go. Right. I think you could equally say about some adult literature that, again, I would say read it on your own. Maybe don't teach that whole class. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just choosing the appropriate mm-hmm. book for your purpose. If your purpose is to have a great book for SSR, it can be wide open. If your purpose is to have a book that you want to teach whole class, you can do that with YA Lit or Adult Lit. You have to be equally as careful with selection either way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think in defense of teachers who have been teaching the same text, I mean, YA and even middle grade have only really gotten... been so robust in the last decade or so. And I mean, I think a lot, even about middle grade, there is just so much really, we've covered some of them, Mm such really good middle grade books that are super easy to access, but have that deal with some really hard things. And I also think about wonder. I mean, I think wonder is a book that you could teach. I taught that with my juniors. Yeah. I mean, like you can teach middle grade or upper elementary all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I just think that sometimes it is also an awareness issue, mm-hmm. issue that people don't understand. Maybe teachers who have been teaching for a long time or teachers who are new to the profession don't realize how how robust yeah. it is yeah. that the YA middle grade, mm-hmm. how well, robust the, the categories are now because they weren't like that even yeah. when, when I was in school. Right. I mean, I do think, like you said, Jen, Twilight was one of the first times mm-hmm. that I saw kids in my classroom 
a lot of whom had the same book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was this moment of realizing that there was this phenomenon happening mm-hmm. out there that was taking place in the same with the Hunger Games. I yeah. think that those series really were transformative. And we, we've talked about the Twilight before. We're not going to get into it today. There are some problems yeah. with the series, I think, especially when you're thinking about instructing. Mm-hmm. But I do think that those were both transformative novels right that like those series that opened these floodgates mm-hmm. to all these works out there that again there were people out there doing this and like you said jen even even when we were kids there were books out there that weren't labeled that way yeah. but yeah. that were definitely written for kids differently than a lot of other books mm-hmm. but i do think they're just much more common and just covering such a wider array yeah. of issues and i think just to echo yeah, I think you talking about, Jen, when you said um, everybody sees the ants. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that we did that year is gave – we decided we wanted to cover social issues, mm-hmm. but we were flexible on which ones we were going to cover. And so we were going to construct some units around issues that the kids voted to discuss. And I just found that entire experience – I mean, again, it was really an eye-opening moment mm-hmm. for me that a tremendous number of students, well over half of all of our students mm-hmm. combined – voted for bullying as being their top thing that they wanted to discuss. And I think that as a teacher, I had always handled that so carefully and tried really hard in some ways not to discuss it because I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. And then to realize that a lot of them, when given an anonymous survey, Mm -hmm. were desperate to discuss this thing that was so pervasive in their world and yet that people a lot of times with the best of intentions we're yeah. not talking about because again I just saw it talked about badly often and I so I often tried to be protective of their privacy mm-hmm. protective of their feelings and just didn't take it head on and I think that was just really that was part of why we chose that book yeah. is because it addressed bullying in such a direct way and just some of the other issues that they were passionate about discussing it was just really helpful for us to see that because there are so many young adult books that are taking on these really heavy issues but in a way like you said Sarah that students can reach Mm -hmm. and I think yeah (laughs) I want to say one more thing (laughs) (laughs) that what you said Sarah about the books that we've taught that take on such heavy issues I mean I think that for me one of the times that I really realized that I was ready to step back from some of the classical works with my regular classes is when I was teaching Ellie Wiesel's Night Mm -hmm. which I think is a phenomenal phenomenal piece of literature but I found that my students were totally removed from it. Mm-hmm. And that was awful for me yeah. to experience. Right. To be reading something that was so profoundly moving and to see how distant they were, how they were mm-hmm. just totally un- unable to connect with the text. And I, we did a lot of other, I mean, I, of course, I like a teacher does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tried to learn and restructure and reshape the unit in a way that helps them think about what was going wrong, how Mm -hmm. we got to where we were and how we have some ability in our lives to make better choices, to try to not let that kind of thing happen. Mm -hmm. But still, I mean, I just remember one of my most favorite students was just like, why do we have to read this? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's painful 
to hear someone say that because, and I mean, I feel bad. I feel guilty saying it right now because it makes me feel bad that the kids felt that detached from Mm -hmm. something that both happened in real life and that Elie Wiesel experienced himself Mm -hmm. and that he wrote so beautifully about. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the reality we have to face is that sometimes the things that we think should be so profoundly moving for kids, just like you said with To Kill a Mockingbird, which Mm -hmm. honestly, I don't know that I knew that you felt that way in high school about it. And I mean, Sarah talks about that book all the time Mm -hmm. as being one of her all time favorites. Yeah. I mean, and I think, and like I said, I liked it in high school. It was probably one of the only books that I actually read that much. I mean, and I loved English, but like, but I, once I got out of high school and having AP English and um, advanced English classes, I was like, I'm never reading again Mm -hmm. because I, I found the experience so, you know, I just hated it. Mm -hmm. I hated reading. I hated reading those books that I did not care about. I wanted to be able to pick my own books, but I did like To Kill a Mockingbird. But I mean, only when I reread it as an adult was I so profoundly moved. And Mm -hmm. I just think that comes with experience and maturity. And I think that what young adult does so well is it for one thing, some students read those books and they cannot see themselves. Mm -hmm. The, the, the text like, classics and things like an older text they cannot see themselves in it so then it's really hard to connect to it and as adults we can because we can see the bigger picture but as stu- mm-hmm. i mean kids are a lot of times you know self-focused yeah, and they can't right. see themselves in it so i think that ya has really given us this opportunity as teachers to be able to give kids text that they can actually see themselves in mm-hmm. no matter who they are mm-hmm. and i think that is really powerful and i think that it is important for us to harness that power and get those books in the hands of the students mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is going to be a downer. I don't want to be disingenuous. Like I still taught the classics. And so I guess that's what I want to say is it doesn't have to be either or mm-hmm. like I right. was trying to teach why a lit, but also still the classics that I thought it was important for some of my students right. to read. And so I think that can be powerful too. So maybe you teach a dystopian novel like the hunger games alongside something like Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. And then you talk about why dystopian is relevant mm-hmm. from the 1950s until the 2000s. And I think there are ways that you can pair books or, you know, just think about things that have been relevant for a long time. I think that's powerful Mm -hmm. as well. So I, yeah, I think that it doesn't have to be a choice. Mm -hmm, And so I think as I started integrating my classes more, I just saw kids a lot more willing to take on the books that I was giving them. The other thing I will say that was really refreshing when we did everybody sees the ants, because again, that's a challenging book. So when I taught something like The Great Gatsby, which y'all know is one of my all-time favorites, but kids were online. And I tried to create assignments that ask them to think about it. But you can find 50 essays out there about The Great Gatsby. When you're teaching a book that is new, Mm -hmm. you know that what the kids are saying, that those are their thoughts and their opinions. And that's empowering for me, but also for them, because I think... It's saying what you think matters and your ideas about this book matter. And that's why I'm asking you to express them. You don't have to go to this other authority because it's a book that's been out there for so long and you're joining this context or this, this tradition of analysis. And so you have to match what people have thought before you, what you think is the first thing that you need to think about. And so I thought that was really cool too. And for some of my honors kids, that was tough because they were used to being able to go online and, you know, kind of search it and 
mix that with what they thought about it and come out with this really coherent theory, it was cool to watch them struggle. And that sounds mean, but it really was. Like they had to work out with A.S. King uses magic realism and there is no firm answer in that book about some of the things that are happening. And so then when you watch them trying to figure it out, it was cool to watch them come up with theories that then they had to support with quotations from the text, which is what we want kids to do. Anyway, sorry, that was a rant. But yeah, just that idea of both being powerful, I think is something else I would advocate for. Yeah. And I really like that idea of using them together to be mm-hmm. able to be more accessible for mm-hmm. students and to be able, I think that if you start out with something that's easier, then the harder thing is easier to find the right. connections. And I think that is a great scaffolding mechanism yeah, too. Yeah, and I think sometimes when they're reading those histor- historical texts and looking at a time period before, I mean, that has been Sarah and I've had yeah. this out about <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird, so I will not hash it out right now. But I think it's easy to distance yourself from some of the things that happen because mm-hmm. the racism in that is so overt that many students are able to say, well, that's not me. Right. Yeah. And I think when you get into books like The Hate You Give, for mm-hmm. example, then you're having to grapple with the parts of yourself that you may not want to mm-hmm. examine, but then you have to realize are a part of maybe the way that you do carry some prejudice or you mm-hmm. do have some bias and that mm-hmm. that is forcing kids to confront those things. And same with night. Again, I'm still feeling some guilt <laughs> that I said that about because it makes my students sound like they were callous people who didn't care about what was happening. And that is not the case. But I do think it was easy for them to think, well, I would never, I would never right. be like that Nazi. I would never do that uh-huh. thing. And yeah. that's just not how rea- reality is not that black and white. Right. And so I sometimes think that both when we read things that are profoundly horrendous, like mm-hmm. the Holocaust, And also when we read things from a long time ago, it's easier for kids to not see into Mm -hmm. that window, neither the mirror nor the window. It's easier for them to just disengage. And especially if the text is also more difficult to to access. Mm -hmm. So all of that, I think, all of those things are barriers that make it harder for kids to engage in a meaningful way. And again, if that is our objective, then we've got to find a way through that and so and I agree with what Jen said that like I mean I'm even in the even in my last year I still was teaching a lot that was Mm -hmm. not young adult lit but I did find that I really loved when I was able to start the year with young adult lit I love doing units that revolved around that because of the Mm buy-in because it created a great class atmosphere it really opened the door and it did make it easier for me to get kids to believe that there was merit in the other things that I was going to do with them and have them be more on board and more likely to participate. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's I think also like not even teaching whole class, but having them as options for lit circles. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I think there are kids who are able to read the harder text yeah. and that they want to. I mean, I had students in eighth grade who chose Jane Eyre for independent mm-hmm. projects, yeah. but I also had kids who were doing something a lot easier yeah. too. But I mean, it's like giving them that choice and being able to let them determine mm-hmm. where they are. So yeah. I think. All right. Well, we are going to do a give me one related to our topic. So (laughs) in light of our topic, give me one favorite YA book. Oh, Lord. I know. I didn't know what our topic was. Uh, (laughs) So there are so many. I I am going to use this opportunity to say we do have, we've been working on on our website. We have bookish faves and book reviews that we're doing every week. And we don't do young adult all the time, Mm -hmm. but we are trying to share with you all those titles Mm -hmm. that we really, really love. And you're also welcome to contact us about that. And we do have a Teachers Pay Teacher store as well, where we've put up some resources Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. some books that we think would be great in the classroom and as whole class text so I just want to mention that while I'm stalling (laughs) and 
One, there are so many that I absolutely love. I'm going to talk about Emily XR Pan's The Astonishing Color of After. I think that the reason I wanted to pick this one is because it is definitely YA, but it is gorgeously written and mm-hmm. both in theme and in style. I think that it is on the playing field of any other book of literary merit. And so I think I'm choosing it just because not only do I love it, but also because it does all of that. And I think also it hits on a lot of very, very difficult issues that kids do sometimes have to face or they know someone who's facing them and they're having to work through it. So in it, Lee, or we don't have to say all that. I can just say. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I felt like I had to give a summary. I don't have to give a summary. I'm out. I'm out. I love that book. Read it. Sarah, do you want to go? Yes, I'm having trouble deciding. There's so many. I've read so many great YA books. This may be our upcoming bookish faves. Oh, is, no. is our long <laughs> list of some of our favorite YA picks. Maybe it'll be a series. We can each have one. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Because I definitely have read more YA than than adult because mm-hmm. I was teaching yeah. and I was reading YA all the time. And I, know, I, I just know that in my mind I haven't captured all of them. So I'm like, I don't want to decide, but I'm going to. I am going to go, I'm going to go with Turtles All the Way Down. Mm. Because John Green is my absolute favorite. And unlike Jen, you know, Jen always is like, that's an autobi author for me. (laughs) I don't really have many autobi authors. But John Green, I will buy anything that he does. Mm -hmm. And I thought Turtles All the Way Down was just great. And I thought it dealt with mental health issues in a really deliberate yet Mm -hmm. subtle way like caring way Mm -hmm. i don't know how to explain it but i just really appreciated it and i i'm so i'm gonna go with turtles all the way down all right i'm madly scrolling through goodreads because i thought Mm -hmm. i knew and then i was like oh maybe not but yeah the fact that we don't have to have a big explanation is helpful (laughs) so i will do a recent fairly recent read alex e harrow's the Ten Thousand doors of january which i absolutely think you could teach even to the most upper level students because that book is YA, but it is complex it is layered it is amazing on the character level it has a book within a book which is one of my favorite things And so there are multiple stories to work through and figure out the connections and how each illuminates the other. All right. Can I say one thing? Yes. I didn't decide not to say this one because I thought maybe one of you would. And so I just want to say The Hate You Give is Mm. probably my most recent favorite YA book. I think it is phenomenal, but we've talked about it so much. I wanted to give a different mm-hmm. a different book, but I think that book is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah and that's it. We we have spent. I'm really not trying to like pitch for our <laughs> teachers pay teacher stuff here, but I think like we when we started creating book discussion guides and also book flights, the first thing that we thought about was the hate you give because yeah. we all loved it so much and because we think that it is such a powerful text in the classroom. And then we got to thinking about police violence mm-hmm. and police violence, the intersection of police violence and race and America. And so I think that that led us to thinking about a lot of books that relate to that. So yeah, I think that that's a great, very pertinent topic that Mm -hmm. kids need to know more about, but also are, you know, forming opinions about and that there's a lot of great literature out there for. Yeah. Mm All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today. We would love it if you would recommend some of your favorite YA books as well and let us know what you think about teaching YA. Thanks so much. Do 
you have comments or opinions about what you heard today, we'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 